Thank you guys, and thank you so much for being here this morning. If you're a guest with us, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd like to say a special welcome to you. Thanks for coming. Uh, if, you, if you didn't get a set of sermon notes when you came in, and you'd like to follow along in that way with us this morning, just put your hands up, and one of, your usher, or one of our ushers will be sure to get you a copy of that. And I just got to tell you, I am so excited to be here this morning. I have missed the last couple of weekends because I was on a family vacation uh, with my family, and we're not California natives. So we did a NorCal trip. But how many of you uh, did a summer vacation this year? You took some time off of work, either a vacation or a staycation. Put your hands up. We're going to make the the ushers go crazy right now. Uh, But uh, yeah, we did. And I I know that you guys came to church this morning because you were so excited to see pictures from my family vacation. So... So I brought a couple along. Our first stop on the way uh, up the coast was at Hearst Castle, and I had to kind of go through the pictures to make sure I had an appropriate one. You know, there's there's a lot of art at Hearst Castle, and and in fact, my favorite line of that trip was from one of my, my twin boys that are six, Grady. He said to me, Dad, why would you bring us to a place with so many inappropriate statues? (laughs) <laughs> and uh, there are a lot of elementary school boy giggles going on at that trip. And, and then from there, we went on up to San Francisco, and, and we visited Alcatraz, and I got a picture here, and we put all the kids in one of the cells. And I tried really hard to close that, that cell, but they had it welded shut. But Heidi and I right now are in a permitting process to get one of those installed in our house. So, so we're really excited about that. And then at the end of our trip, uh, I went fishing in the Pacific with a couple of buddies, and this is Pastor Jim and I, and we caught some yellowfin. And that was a lot of fun. And I know what you're thinking. And no, you can't come over for sashimi. It's gone. We, we ate it all. But we had a great vacation. And I hope you guys had a good vacation as well if you got to go on one. Uh, but you know, it's the middle of August and vacation is over, right? The kids are back in school. And so what happens when vacation is done? You go back to what? Work. And, and that's what this series is about. The series is about our work, and sometimes we get paid for our work, and sometimes financial remuneration is just not a part of our work, and every mom in the room knows that the most difficult work is the work that you do for free, right? Um, and, and work today is changing. I mean, careers are different. It used to be you would start a job with a company, and 20, 30, 40 years later, you would retire, but it's just not that way anymore, is it? I mean, for most of us, in fact, reports say that the average millennial, and those would be folks basically born in the 80s and 90s, the average millennial will have 18 different jobs over the course of their work life. And the way we work is different. I mean, we've got our MacBooks, we've got our mobile devices, and all these technological advances have made it possible for us to work in a, at a cubicle in a corporate environment or, or in a home office or at a desk in a, in a school environment or on an athletic field or in a small business uh, environment. We can work from just about anywhere. And I don't know how you're feeling about your work. I mean, regardless of how you work or where you work, all of us, all of us, um, the, the truth of the matter is while, while we shape our work, our work also shapes us and it shapes the world around us. And when we look at the world, we want our work to make a difference. And I don't know if you feel like your work makes a difference or not. I, I don't know how you're feeling about your work. I mean, maybe you guys are feeling like, you remember that Loverboy song from the early 80s? Remember that? It's like, everybody's working for the weekend. Sing along. Every, no, I'm just kidding. Don't. <laughs> maybe, you're fe- maybe you're just getting through or maybe you love your work. But no matter, no matter how you're feeling about your work this morning, in this series, we want to encourage you. 
we want to encourage you and we want to help you connect your worship on Sunday with your work Monday through Saturday. And this is why, and if you're taking notes, it's your first set of blanks. This is why it's because your work matters. It matters to God, it matters to you, and it matters to those around you. Your work matters. What you do Monday through Saturday is every bit as important as what you do on Sunday. And this is why. It's because you were created to work. And I want us to go back and I want us to check out the, the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. Read with me and beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, we were created to work and we work because we bear the image of the one who works. You know, God is not some cosmic do-nothing who's sitting on a throne in heaven being fed and fanned by some plump cherub, right? That's not our God. Our God is a creator. He's an initiator. He's a cultivator. He is a worker, And so we see in the creation story that first we were given a divine stewardship role over God's creation. He put us in the earth and he said, fill it, subdue it, oversee my creation. Secondly, we see that we were designed to be God's image bearers to uniquely reflect who God is to his creation. Four times in two verses, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God wanted someone who was like him, who could reflect his his image, his glory to his creation. There was a problem in Genesis 2.5, there was no one to work. And in Genesis 2.15, God solved that problem by creating us. And so we must learn to view our work as worship. Because God designed us not only to enjoy intimacy with him, but to also enjoy the privilege of contributing to his work in the world. We've got to learn to view our work as worship. Look in Genesis 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And, and that word that's translated their work, the Hebrew word is avoida. And it's translated work, it's, it's translated service, it's translated craftsmanship. God uses that same word to, to describe the back-breaking work that the children of Israel did when they were slaves in Egypt. He also uses that same word to describe the, the artistic craftsmanship that the artisans used where they were making the vessels that would serve in the temple. And so that word was translated work and service and craftsmanship. But do you know many times in scripture, that word is also translated worship. We need to learn to see our work as, as worship. And we work to the glory of God and to the furtherance of the common good because our work is worship. Dorothy Sayers, who was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, she spent plenty of time uh, thinking and, and, and speaking and writing on this idea of how Christians should view our work. And she wrote in an essay titled, Why Work? She wrote this, The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to moral instruction and church attendance. What the church should be telling him is this. 
That the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. She continues, let the church remember this, that every maker and worker is called to serve God in their profession or trade, not outside it. The only Christian work is good work well done. And this wasn't originally with Dorothy. No, Dorothy, she was just restating something that the Apostle Paul had stated first to the, uh, to the first century believers at the church in Colossae. I want you to look at it in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 where he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Why? Because you're working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, for it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And we all know, we know that our work has an instrumental value in our lives and that it provides for our needs and it helps us meet the needs of those who depend on us. But we can undervalue our work. And we need to remember that our work doesn't only have an instrumental role in our lives, but that our work has intrinsic value in and of itself as an expression of our worship to God and a reflection of who he is as a, a creator a worker. And so it's really, it's possible that we can undervalue our work. But you know, it's also possible that we can overvalue our work. And rather than seeing our work as an expression of worship, we can begin to worship our work. And we we have a a phrase for that or a word for that in in, in our culture. It's called workaholism, right? We we begin to, to worship our work and all that it brings us. And can I just confess to you that I am in recovery. I'm a recovering workaholic. I really am. I don't say that in jest. Uh, it's really easy, especially for us dudes, it's really easy for us to begin to get our whole identity wrapped up in what we do and to begin to define who we are based on what we do. And so just as it's it's possible for us to undervalue our work, it's also possible for us to overvalue our work. And that's what our second point is all about. See, what you do does not define who you are. No, who you are should determine what you do. And have you ever met someone who, who has got their, their identity, what they, or who they are, confused with their activity, what they do? I think we've all fallen into that. Maybe you're, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and that's a part of your role. Or, and, and so for, for, and, and you're, all your kids went to, went to school this, this year for the first time, right? And you came home and you're like, who, who am I? My kids are gone, right? I mean, it's easy for what we do to, to define who we are. And, and I was thinking about different ways to illustrate this. And I, I went back to uh, something that happened in my life about 20 years ago. I was in Cincinnati, Ohio with my, uh, my girlfriend, who, uh, Heidi. She's my wife now. And, and it always makes it easier for a preacher when the, the story about the girl he was dating is the girl he married. Uh, so this one's easy. And, uh, and so we were in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we went to a haunted house in the the summer because uh, we, were, we were going to an amusement park, Kings Island, and, and there was a haunted house there, and it looked really cool, and they were open year-round. I was like, if there's a haunted house that can be open year-round, this place has to be awesome. And it sat back in off the road a long ways and was surrounded by cornfields. It was a century home, and I, it was super expensive. I remember having sticker shock when I saw the price, and, I was, and then they said, but if you make it through the whole thing, you get your money back. And I was like, Pfft. I was 18, and I was like, nothing scares me. Of course, this is going to be free. So we went and we bought our tickets. And, and, and let me fast forward to the end of the story. The end of the story has Heidi on my back, hitting me, screaming as I'm running through a cornfield. Okay. 
that's the end of the story. Here's how we got there. We bought our tickets and we got, went to the front of the door. They, they'd only let you go through one or two at a time. And they didn't really help you. So they said, here's your ticket and, and, and just go, you know, go to the front of the house. And so climb the steps and big 10 foot wooden doors and they had knockers on it. So doom, doom, doom. And uh, no one came to the door. And, and I'm like, come on, I spent 20 bucks on this ticket. Boom, boom, boom. And no one came to the door. And Heidi was like, don't make them mad. Just wait, you know? And so we sat there. Finally, the door kind of uh, creaked open. And this, this girl, she's dressed kind of like a maid. And, and she said, welcome to such and such manor. And she walked us into the parlor. And again, it was a Victorian century home. And she set us down on this little bench, kind of this velvet seat. And, and there was a piano there. And so we sat down and she began to play at the piano. And, and we're just kind of like, what is going on? And, it's, it, and, and, <laughs> and so she stopped playing the piano. And she said, I hope you enjoy your stay at such and such manor. She turned around. She went to play some more. And at one point, she hit the key on the piano, this high note and at that moment the floor in front of us fell our seat flattened out and we slid down into this little five by five foot room dirt floor sandstone walls and the floor joists bare the floor we got up and the the slide went and it was just the two of us down in this little space i was like what is going on and at just about that moment we heard it it was boom boom Boom. And we again in this little room. And, and so there was a doorway. We walked through the doorway and there was this big boiler, this big furnace over here. I couldn't see to the other side of the room because the boiler was in the way. It was about a 10 by 10 room. And there was just this, this walkway on the dirt floor around the, the furnace. And so we just started walking. And as we got closer, I was, t- I was telling Heidi, I was like, hey, babe, listen, there's just someone hitting the furnace. It's no big deal. Someone's hitting the furnace. And sure enough, we got to where we could see and there was a clown standing there back up against the furnace and staring, just dead stare. And he would just do this, boom, boom, just on beat, you know? And I was like, and I was like, you know, sure, her claws started to dig in at that moment. And, and the, 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 the path, there was a doorway. And so we had to walk past him as a small room. And so he could have reached out and touched us. And I can remember saying, Heidi, he can't touch us. It's against the law for him to touch us. He can't touch us. And I, we walked by him like, you can't touch us. And so we, so we went and they had a closed door at the end of this room. And, and the thing with the doors is it was a new chance for you to get freaked out every room because you had to open the door and you didn't know what was on the other side. And so Heidi, she, she was like behind me, but there was this clown and so she wanted to be in front of me. So she was doing this awkward dance the whole time. I went to open the door and she screams and jumps on top of me. And I hadn't noticed it before, but the pounding had stopped. And that was the, because the clown had, had begun to move in our direction. So we opened the door quickly. I'm like, I don't care what's on the other side. As we, and we found ourselves at some steps and we started going up the steps and we found, a, we got to the top of the steps and she starts screaming again. I'm like, Heidi, I haven't even opened up the door. And she's like, the clown. And it is walking up the steps after us. <laughs> stupid, stupid clown. I'm going to skip to the end. The last room that we went through was a library and we walked into the door and there's a whole line of bookshelves over here and there's an, a door that I can see across the room and there's an exit sign. And I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. And so there was a guy standing there with his hand on the handle of the door. And I said to the guy, hey, I think we're going to leave now. He didn't say anything to me. I was like, my girlfriend really wants to leave now. 
He didn't say anything to me, and that's because he was a dummy, okay? But there was a live guy seated right here to our left that we didn't ever pay any attention to because we were looking at the dummy. He sits up and goes, hey, and we, you know, soiled ourselves. And then, and then he said, for the faint of heart, you may leave now. But if you would like to continue, and he pulls this book out of the bookshelf, and the bookshelf slides away and reveals this hidden staircase. I mean, it was awesome. And I, there was no way I was going up those stairs. And I said, hey, you know what? My, my girlfriend really wants to go. We're just going to leave. And so we go out the door. It dumps us off the side of the house. There's this dirt path leading through the cornfield. We were like, whew, it's good to be out of there. Something moves in the corn. She jumps on my back, starts screaming. I'm running. My parents were in the parking lot. And to this day, they laugh about the scene of Heidi riding me like a horse through the cornfield. Why did I tell you that story? Here's why I told you that story. Because if you're ever in Cincinnati, Ohio, you need to go to that haunted house. No, here's why I told you that story. You know, I am a, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty logical guy. And I, I went into there, I went in there going, this, there's nothing they can do. This is not going to be scary. There's, they can't hurt us. But when I saw that clown, that clown that looks like he had put his makeup on 15 years earlier and had never left the furnace room except to stalk poor, helpless people who had paid good money to go into that place, I really began to believe that he was the character that he was playing. <laughs> it was scary. And that's what I think makes clowns so scary. You know those clowns that never get out of character and you start to think, is that who they really are, <laughs> right? And we've all been clowns, right? We've all got to the place to where we have confused our activity with our identity, and, and it's easy to do. It's how we convince ourselves that we have value. And, and to, be, to feel better about ourselves, we work harder and longer. And we begin to be prisoners of our own illusions. But I want to remind you this morning, I want to remind you of God the Father's first public words to his son. They're found in Matthew 3 and verse 17. Look at him with me. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son. With him, I am well pleased. And I want you to note what God did and did not say in that sacred moment. His words were not instructional. He didn't say, do this. They were not directional. He didn't say, go here. No, they were, they were purely relational. And I want you to remember when he spoke these words. These words were spoken to Jesus before he had begun his public ministry. They were spoken over his hidden and obscure years in his life. Before he had done a miracle, before he had given a message... God was saying, you have value because you are my child. And it is the same for you and it is the same for me this morning. If we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then you are God's child. You are, God, you are a child of God first. And as his son or daughter, you are his family and your place is not dependent upon your performance. No, your value is intrinsic. It's found in your identity as a child of God as a result of the work that Christ did on your behalf, not any work that you do. Your value is intrinsic, not transactional. John writes in 1 John 3, 1, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. There's a huge difference between being a son or a daughter and being an employee. An employee-employer relationship is transactional. But when you're a part of God's family, your, your uh, place is not dependent upon your performance. And so we don't have to derive our identity from our activity. 
No, without competition or comparison or insecurity, we are free to work in a way that blesses others. And it's not that God doesn't want us to be involved in work. No, he just wants our work to be driven by our identity in him. And when we can embrace our position uh, in Christ as a part of his family, and when we can see our work through the lens of being a child of God, it is so freeing, it is so liberating, because we no longer live or die on the praise or criticism of others. And we no longer have to kill ourselves trying to make a name for ourselves or somehow define success, because no, we're in God's family And our value is found in who we are in him. We don't have to be good enough or work our way into acceptance. We're in, enough said. And so at the beginning of this series, I really wanted to make these two points because we have to hold them in tension. We can either undervalue our work and not really embrace it as an act of worship Or we can overvalue our work and begin to worship work itself and begin to confuse our identity with our activity. And where God has designed us to live is really in between those two extremes. We have to manage those, hold those in tension. And I think our third point brings those together well this morning. Here it is. Because your work matters to God, to you, and to those around you, you need to do your best with what you've been given to do. Your work matters. It matters to God, it matters to you, and it matters to those around you. So do your best with the work that you've been given to do. And and I love Paul's words in Galatians chapter 6. And I've got the message paraphrase here on your notes. Look at it with me. He says, don't or make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. And don't compare yourself to others. Why? For each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Listen, you were created on purpose, with purpose, and for a purpose. So explore who you are and the work that you can do, and then do the creative best you can with your life. That's what Paul writes to us. And I'm just telling you, that whole idea of discovering and developing who we are and the work that God has given us to do, is it should be a never-ending process in our life. It's funny, I was sitting down with, uh, I was laying in bed with Heidi on Friday night, and we got the kids to bed, and we actually went to bed really early, and we were just talking, and and, and, and I've been preparing for this, and and I I just asked Heidi, I said, have you ever taken a Myers-Briggs? How many of you know what a Myers-Briggs is, that personality test? I said, have you ever taken a Myers-Briggs? And she was like, no, I haven't. So I had my MacBook there, I was like, well, take one. So she took her Myers-Briggs, and and, and we were looking at her results, and I pulled mine up, and we were comparing. In case you want to know, uh, I'm an ENFJ, so, uh, you know, that's basically a loudmouth promoter. Okay, so that's me. Uh, but we were just working through that. And it was fun. It was fun to talk about our personalities and, and seeing how that plays out in our marriage and in our work at home and in our, in our work outside the home. Just that, that exploring and developing who we are should be a, such a, 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 an ongoing process in our life. I have this sign in my office. I see it every day. It's, it's positioned where it's the first thing I see when I come in. And it says this, if you don't know who you are, Someone else will tell you, and there will be consequences for not listening. And what so often stands in the way of us accomplishing 
work that's significant in our lives and the lives of others is what Paul warns us against in Galatians chapter 6. What does he warn us against? He says, don't be impressed with yourself. But how do we get impressed with ourselves? By the next thing, comparing ourselves with others. Comparison, the Bible says, Paul writes in Romans, says it's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves because what happens when we compare ourselves or the work that we've been given to do with the work of others, we either get impressed with ourselves and we think more of ourselves than we should or we begin to feel bad about ourselves and the work that we've been given and we begin to doubt that God made us on purpose, with purpose, and for a purpose. And so Paul says don't do either of those things because comparison has the ability to really wear down the uniqueness that God has created us with. Comparison turns us into copiers, not creators, not cultivators, but copiers. And why would we want to be a human copy? Why? Why would we want to be a parrot? I think the most annoying bird in the world. Why would we want to be a copier? And remember in Genesis 1, we looked back and saw that God created us with his image and the ability to reflect his image to the world. And so I thought it'd be fun to spend a little bit of time looking at his creation, the creation that we oversee this morning, and seeing all the different permutations that God has allowed to exist in his creation. And so let's just look, since we don't want to be parrots, let's just look at some birds that maybe we would want to be. We've got a picture here of the California condor. This bird was created by God on purpose, with purpose, and for a purpose. You know what this bird's purpose is? This bird's purpose is to keep California clean. This bird has a 10-foot wingspan. It weighs 20. It's the largest wingspan of any North American bird. It has uh, the second largest body average weight is 26 pounds, lives up to 60 years. And this thing was created to be able to soar over long distances, go a long time in between meals. And when it found something dead and rotting uh, somewhere in our beautiful state, it goes down and it cleans it up. And that big old body can store a lot of food. That bald head can get inside that carcass without getting all gunked up. That, that uh, pointy beak can tear every list, last bit of meat from that, those bones. I know that's a little gross, but that bird was created on purpose, with purpose, and for a purpose. And we can see the, the hand of our creator in that bird, right? Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Let's talk about the California hummingbird. California hummingbird works uh, harder than almost any other bird. Do you know that its metabolism requires its heart to beat over 1,200 times a minute? And we call it a hummingbird because of the hum that its wings Wings, uh, the sound that its wings make, that humming sound, that's because its wings beat up to 200 times a second. And what is the, the hummingbird's job? Well, the hummingbird's job is to keep California beautiful. It, it hums around from one, oh, by the way, it can fly up to 34 miles an hour, forwards, backwards, and upside down. God created that thing to be able to get that long beak and into, get the nectar out of that flower and be a key part of the pollination process. Its job is, is to keep California beautiful, and we can see the hand of our creator in that hummingbird, right? This next bird is incredible to blow your mind. This bird is the pugwin. This bird is amazing. This bird was not created by God, but it was created by Photoshop. And many of us, many of us are familiar with this next bird. It's the angry bird. This bird has the ability to be catapulted into um, uh, different structures to, to get back at the frogs who stole the eggs. I'm sorry, I had to have a little bit of fun with you. Just make sure you were awake. I don't know, maybe you don't feel like the condor. Maybe you don't feel like the hummingbird. Maybe you feel like this next bird, the common California sparrow. There are plenty of times in my life, in my work, where I feel like it's just maybe a little insignificant. It doesn't matter that much. 
But can I, can I remind you what Jesus tells us about how his father feels about this particular bird? Luke 12, verse 6 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Listen, you are unique. One in seven billion people alive today, one in an estimated 106 billion people who've existed throughout human history. And the thing I want you to know this morning is that your work matters. Your work matters. And you may feel like your work is insignificant. Your work may feel insignificant, but it's not. It matters to God. It matters to you, and it matters to those around you. And would you just pack up for me after you get that last blank, if you're taking notes, just close your sermon notes. I want to talk to you for just a second. You know, I was preparing for this series for, for the last little while, and, and we really, uh, and, and I was finishing up my vacation with the family. We, on our last day of vacation, we went to Legoland. And, and we, went, we were down at Legoland, and you know what Legoland has this time of year? It has a lot of part-time summer help, right? I don't know if you ever had a, a part-time summer job uh, back when you were in school or uh, when you were just really beginning your, your work life. Uh, if you did, you can remember how insignificant and unimportant those jobs feel. I'm sure you can remember how insignificant and, uh, those paychecks were. But we went down to, we went down to Legoland, and and I didn't think anything about all of the part-time summer help that was there. Uh, part of that was because we were going to the water park at Legoland. And just full disclosure, I hate water parks. It's like taking a bath with a thousand people. I just, you know, I just hate it. But, but I took one for the team and, and we were at the water park and, and we, floated, we were floating around the lazy river. We went five times and we did the hand test and it was all wrinkly. So it was time to get out. And, and, and we got out. And so it's Heidi and I and our, and our whole crew, uh, um, Riley, 10, Cade eight, Jake and Grady six and six, and Mac three. And, and we walked around to the stroller and I began to pass out the towels and Heidi was passing out some, some drinks. And I got to the point to where I was gonna give Mac his towel and, I, and he wasn't there. And um, we, as parents, if you're a parent, you've been there in that moment. And I said, Heidi, I can't find Mac. Where's Mac? And, and she looked around and she said, Josh, he's gone. And, I, and, I, and we've all had this conversation before. I mean, it couldn't have been 30 seconds for, that we'd been out of the, of, of the lazy river. And, um, and I said, no, he's, he's around here. Just, just relax. It's okay. And so I began, I, I was looking and, and this is what he was wearing. Mac was, he was wearing his, his bright green floaties. And so he wasn't hard to spot. And so, uh, so we begin to look, and, and a, minute, a minute in, he's gone. And so I said, babe, you stay here. And I just took off running. And, and parents, you know, I was just, oh, God, please. And I, I ran. I turned a corner. I couldn't see them anymore. But I went. I was like, where would he go? So I went back to the rides that we were just on. And, and I looked in the line. And I looked over this little play area. And I looked over here. And I was like, okay, he couldn't have gotten any further than this in a minute and a half. And, and so I was running back. And I was maybe gone for just two minutes at that point. I came back. And, and as I saw uh, where I had left Heidi and the kids, Heidi wasn't there. Riley was there. She was 
bawling her eyes out. The, the three older boys were holding on to that stroller. And I got back. I said, where's mom? And they said, she went to find somebody. And I was like, okay, I'm not leaving you. Just stay here. And so there was a little sandy play area with some, some uh, play structures and umbrellas. And so I walked over and I'm just, I'm just he's, I'm sure he's just hiding under something. And, and so I'm looking and a, and a mom comes up and she says, are you okay? And I said, no, I've lost, one of, I've lost my youngest boy. She said, can I help? I said, yes, please, will you just stay with my other kids for me while I look? Mom is off looking as well. And so her and her two kids came over and I said, this lady is going to stay with you. And, and at that point, another stranger came up to me and said, are, did you lose a little guy? And I said, yes. She said, was he wearing green? I said, yes. She said, he went that way. And so I took off running. And she pointed in the direction of the exit of the park. And so I'm, as I'm running, I'm going, oh God, and I'm a pastor. And so every story I've ever heard is going through my head. And, and I'm running and I'm, I'm just saying, oh God, I remember turning the corner and the exit. And there was this part-time summer helper, teeny bopper, holding the most pre- one of the most precious things in my life. I remember seeing his little green floaties. And I remember going, oh God, thank you. And as I got up to her, I went to reach for him. And she said, I'm sorry. She, I said, I'm sorry. He said, she said, is, is he yours? And I said, yes. And he, was, he didn't really care because she had given him one of these little Lego men to play with. He was playing with this little Lego guy. And, 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 I, said, um, and I said, come on, buddy. And, and she said, sir, just, I'm sorry, just one second. What's his name? And I said, Mac. And then she said, uh, okay, Mac, um, who's this? And Mac said, it's daddy. You know, like, duh, you know, it's daddy. And so I took him and I said, where did you find him? She said, I actually noticed him. He had left the park. He was running out of the park and I tracked him down. And I said, oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I I know she went to work that day. And I don't think this was her long-term career choice. And I don't know if she's a believer or not, but can I tell you something? Her work in that moment reflected the very image of her creator God. And I am so grateful that she went there and was not just putting her time in but was doing her job. And guess what? Her work matters. It matters to her God. It matters to her and it matters to those around her. And I'm so grateful that she was around on our last trip to Legoland. Would you guys just just bow your heads and just pray with me? Look, I don't know where you are when it comes to your work. I know work consumes so much of our life. Maybe, maybe you're, you've been in a season where you've been undervaluing your work. Maybe you've just been mailing it in. Can I encourage you right now in this moment, say, oh God, thank you for making me in your image. And would you surrender your work to him today? Say, God, I am gonna work. If, I, if you go this afternoon or tomorrow, when I go, I am gonna work for you. Because I know my work matters to you. Maybe you're on the other end and, and you've begun to worship your work and you've, you've got your identity all, all wrapped up in what you do. In this moment, you, could you say, oh God, forgive me for trying to make a name for myself when you have already given me a name that's above every other name. And so today, today I surrender my work to you and I'm gonna work in a way this week that serves others and pleases you. No matter where you are, 
in light of the truth that we've been reminded of this morning, could you say, God, you made me on purpose, with purpose, and for a purpose. And so today, fresh and anew, I'm going to explore who you made me and the work that you've given me to do. And I'm going to do my creative best with the work that you've given me to do. I want to give you a second to just, just say those things from your heart to your God. Lord, thanks for being a God who works. Thanks for always working in our lives and through our lives. Lord, I, with my church family, confess to you my desire to glorify you with my work. Thank you for making each of us unique Thank you for giving each of us a unique role to play and the opportunity to play it out for your glory and for the common good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.